0: From the campus of Utah State University, we bring you the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Statesman Sports Desk. I'm Dalton Renshaw. As always, I'm here with Jason Walker. Jason, how's it going?
0: Pretty good. Always good after a, a football win. So
1: Yeah, it was a, kind of a messy day, but they still pulled out with a win in the end.
0: Messy day is one way to describe that. Uh <laughs> Both physically and, I guess, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Yeah.
1: uh, Ecologically. Metaphorically. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Metaphorically on the field and literally on the field, it was messy.
1: Yeah, I feel like very much sympathetic to the people who stayed in the stands and watched the game because it was actually really well attended something you know over 20,000 in, in attendance for the game and we were you know comfortably sitting up in the press box which kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, yeah
0: we were there in the press box you know oh lightning delay oh shucks guess we'll have to wait another half hour yeah. and they're down there in the stands wearing their ponchos and we're up there drinking our you know they got the the soda machines and went up in the yeah. press box just watching the, the football on there. tv and yeah it's just, <laughs> just it's, let's keep falling on oh yeah the game is about to start well <laughs> tally ho let's watch some football
1: yeah, let's put our <laughs> privilege to the side and actually watch the football. We're here to do a job for. Yeah, but it all all worked out in the end, and uh, Utah State ended up winning thirty-four to twenty-four and get another conference win. Now they're two and zero, uh, and kind of. I don't know <laughs> didn't really shake off the uh the demons per se of last last year's Colorado State win actually really played out very similarly in some ways,
0: yeah, quite similarly, just you know with the the defense and special teams really helping out the offense I mean the offense scored what seventeen points I think on their own, mm-hmm. and so they so they had like two decent drives, mm-hmm. I think the whole game, and then David Woodward and Savon Scarver came through, yeah. Uh, so and and Savon Scarver's touchdown was huge. Yes. Yeah, so
1: let, let's get right into that. Let's start there because I mean, very similarly to the San Diego State game with Shaq Bonds pick six, really, <laughs> it was it was something other than the offense that actually ignited the offense for the team, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it, just because the you look at the first two possessions, I believe for Utah State, they went nowhere basically. Um, when they fumbled their first drive, and yeah. then punted on their next one.
1: Yeah. Exactly,
0: and so it's just like, and it, well, the pump was blocked too, right? Yeah, that they, was one where the pump was yeah, blocked. Yeah, they
1: had a fumble from Gerald Bright, and then a pump blocked, and then two consecutive drives.
0: Yeah, and and so it's just couldn't have been a worse start for the offense. Just absolutely could not have been worse. And, but then you have, Savon Scarborough comes, and you and they were only down 7. seven, seven zero, which was amazing. Like The defense played amazing in this game. But then save on Scarver, and it still bugs me they have this as 100 yards. It was really 108 yards.
1: Yeah, you were telling me that's just the way that the NCAA keeps their statistics because that, that really doesn't make any sense to me. Well, either. I've
0: seen longer than 100-yard plays, I'm pretty sure.
1: It listed. should be. Because that was, I mean, that was... I know they do it in the NFL. Maybe the college just does it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely in the NFL. But, I mean, what were what were your thoughts when you were actually watching that play and you saw him kind of, you know, take it and then take, like, a quick hesitation and then, then he just puts on the Jets and says, you know, I'm going to return this.
0: So, I know you were there on the press box where after Colorado State scored, I was like, "Savon's going to return this for a touchdown. I was, like, kind of predicting it. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> like, well, when he went eight yards deep, I was like, he's going to kneel it. And then he didn't, and I was like... Oh, here we go. And then when he made that cut, mm-hmm. and if you, I watched it back on film a bunch to kind of see what happened. When he made that cut, yep. that's what sealed it because a bunch of Colorado State players reacted to it and allowed. I mean, Utah State had like three blockers, and there were like five guys. Yeah. And that little cut, I don't know whether Savon did it on purpose or not, but when he made that cut back towards the sideline it threw everybody off and allowed for blocks. Joe Bright threw a really good block and then mm-hmm. they had a couple more down the field. Jared Green's was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. He yeah.
1: really sparked those last like twenty yards or so. Yeah, yeah, there
0: was a there was a lot of good good blocks in that one, his especially. And then he just he just takes a little block. like once you saw him, I think by the time he passed the thirty five yard line it was it was done. Mm-hmm. He was gone. There was nobody gonna catch him. And, you know, I, I was sitting up there saying, I freaking called it. <laughs> I, um, I probably almost got in trouble because yeah. I think I almost yelled <laughs>
1: excessive it. Excessive celebration.
0: Yeah, excess, well, any celebration, technically, granted, I wasn't really celebrating. I was mostly glorifying myself yeah. being kind of a an arrogant douchebag maybe. But
1: <laughs> One time you're just going to get a, a flag thrown on you in the press box <laughs> for excessive
0: celebration. Yeah, I, I normally try not to celebrate. I'm normally not like that. But the, it was
1: just such an exciting play. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of those things where you you see it and like you said, you kind of called it, but you still don't have like the full faith that it's actually going to happen yeah. until it gets past the fifty. And you're like, oh my gosh, he's actually going to take yeah. this back.
0: And, and and not only was I excited for that, it's just obviously just the fact that it was such a huge play for Utah State. Mm-hmm. And from there, Utah State played a lot better on offense, and mm-hmm. well, they still played good on defense. They weren't really playing bad on that. Er- Part of the field,
1: yeah, they they were really really good on defense, pretty much consistently throughout the game. Um, Other than, you know, they had a couple a couple drives, obviously, because Colorado State was able to keep in the keep in the game for the most part, and really. Maybe one of the, the worst drives defensively was the, uh, one of the ones right after that where Colorado State went on an eight play, 80 yard drive and punched it in for a touchdown. Yeah. But Utah State responded right after that with you know one of the best passing plays of the game, uh, 37 yarder to Devin Tompkins who continues to impress. And that was, I mean, really you know that and the the, the later on touchdown to Kayla Rep were yeah. two of the best plays on offense.
0: Yeah, those were two of the best plays. I remember right when he threw that pass to Tompkins. I was getting ready to tweet out just how poorly Jordan Love's throws were. Because mm-hmm. so many of them were off. And I don't know how much of it was affected by the rain. Because I, I have a hard time giving players a full pass because of bad weather. Yeah. Just because I've seen so many good bad weather games. Yeah. You watch Tom Brady play really good cold weather games. You start losing the, oh, people should, you know. Yeah. You stop giving that free pass to people. Because you know that there are people who can play good in cold weather. So you know it's possible. Snowy weather, that's the one I'll probably always give him a pass because that's just, like, when you got, like, a foot of snow, that's sure. just hell on earth. Yeah. There's there's no way you're playing good in that. Sure.
1: Well, it was interesting, too, because um, even even uh, Coach Anderson in the press conference uh, explicitly said that, like, this game wasn't, you know, the way things played out wasn't due to the weather, which, yeah. I mean, you can believe that or not, but I'm sure it had some factor. But Yeah, th- there was some factor,
0: but, again, like, Love was just playing really bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He throws that pass of because that's a thing of beauty mm-hmm. like it was, it was like i had to just delete the tweet or like you know it was it was, <laughs> it was still a draft at that point yeah. so i was just like well just hold down backspace cuz he just threw the most beautiful pass of the game right after he threw about 10 bad ones.
1: Yeah, it's funny when you watch him because he really does have like a string of, you know, one or two, three maybe even passes where you really start to question like, hmm, what was behind that decision? That definitely wasn't a good pass. And then he'll show off his class in a throw like that.
0: Yeah, and there's just some games where I think I was going through Wake Forest again and I was seeing some of his throws. There were some master class throws in there, NFL throws, really good stuff. And then there's just these games where it's like, what, what what happened? Mm-hmm. And I don't, and it's rare enough that you don't say that he's just inconsistent. But it happens enough that it can almost drive you insane because you just know how dang good Jordan Love is.
1: Yeah, it, it really is like the the outliers are are the really really bad mistakes, right? It, it's it's pretty consistent throughout, but when it goes bad, it goes really bad. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is kind of weird to evaluate, which you know. Uh, and at least he
0: isolates his bad games, you know, bad throws to mostly like one or two games. Like last year, right. it was a lot of Colorado State, and then pretty much the whole Wyoming game. Yeah. And then he has like every other game is good.
1: Yeah. So okay, let's let's move on in the game because you know one of those really bad decisions was was the pass out to the to the <laughs> to the sideline that was intercepted for a forty four yard touchdown. Um, though that's exactly one of the ones that we're talking about where it's just like that throw really doesn't look like it's on the whole time but it was it was funny to me because you know something that we kind of try to take into account I think when evaluating those throws is the situation and you know where where they're at and and, and, all, and all that stuff um but Gary Henderson said after the game that like that's something that people really don't take into account which I don't I don't know about that I, I feel well,
0: like I, I try to take into account because like I said I think I mentioned this last year about a lot of Jordan Love's interceptions last year, especially against Michigan State. His two interceptions weren't necessarily his fault because right. he got creamed as he threw it. Right. And there's a couple others. I think uh, I can't remember if this was his freshman year or last year where two of his interceptions were directly the fault of Carson Terrell dropping passes and then just falling into the hands of linebackers. Mm-hmm. But when I, I've gone through in depth each of the interceptions, and I believe most of them are Jordan Love's fault. Yeah, And and this is one of them.
1: This this seems like it's definitely one of them. But to his credit, I will say there was a couple plays when I was going back and watching the Wake Forest game um, that it it really did look like it was a missed route um, by one of the receivers, and maybe that could be the case. But um, nonetheless, uh, it it definitely wasn't his best performance, but um, one of the better performances was definitely coming from Gerald Bright who had uh, multiple career career highs and you know rushing attempts, yards and all of that. And um, I know that's something that you wrote a piece about for the statesman this this past week, how th- that really was kind of like the way that they were able to escape with this win was you know a lot due to Jill right?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're playing one of the worst rushing defenses in the country and see and when you can't throw the ball like they wanted to, just either the rain or Jordan loves off or pretty much a combination of all the above there. They had to turn to the run, and you saw both with Joe Bright and Jalen Warren was out, which is why they turned a lot to, to Joe Bright. I mean, yes. Warren was out in the second quarter, I think. Yeah. And so Joe Bright, he sets a career high. Jordan Love tied a career high in rushing attempts. Mm-hmm. And it, it was kind of special to see Joe Bright do that because, you know, I've I've been somewhat knocking him saying, you know, he's good but not yeah. great, you know, something like that, which, to be honest, I, I this game didn't really change my mind about that. <laughs> as harsh as that sounds, but it, it it kind of further emphasized my point that if you rely on Gerald Bright, you're pretty much not going to be let down.
1: Oh yeah, no, I think I think that's yeah. definitely the case. Because
0: this is a guy who has over fifteen hundred yards in the last two seasons for scrimmage yards and seventeen total touchdowns. This guy's not a scrub. No. And oh. and tonight he or sorry, tonight against Colorado State. You know, 36 rushing attempts. Utah State hasn't relied on one person that much since Emmett Smith, Emmett White, White Emmett <laughs> Smith.
1: Yeah, you remember those days when they had Emmett Smith <laughs> just winning bowl game those, after bowl game. Those
0: were good days. Uh, Emmett White, uh, he ran 38 times against Weber State back in like 2001. So it's mm-hmm. been about 20 years, two decades, almost mm-hmm. two full decades since Utah State has relied this much on a single running back in a game. And uh the hundred and seventy six yards that Bright got I think were the most I think I saw somewhere was the most since Devontae Mays mm-hmm. had like hundred and eighty something against uh, Weber State back in like two thousand and thirteen. It was I like a, he had
1: two oh eight against somebody. Two oh eight? I could be wrong about that, yeah.
0: Yeah, it it's it I wanna say it was Weber State that he played yeah. I remember he had a big game against Weber State when we beat him like seventy to three or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And he had he pulled off a couple of big runs. Uh, but even then, he I think he only ran it, like, probably in the teens or maybe in the low 20s mm-hmm. just because he got pulled because you know, Utah State was creaming Weber State at the time. So, and the other thing that was special about this game is when you look at all the, the games where somebody's run for 170, so it's 176 or 179 79. yards. 79. 79. So of all the games where somebody's run for at least 179 yards, Every single player who's in, I think, after this past week, there were 23 instances of that happening spread across 20 players. Mm. All of them except Gerald Bright included at least a 20-yard run. Mm. I think all except like four or five included a 50-yard run. Wow. Gerald Bright's longest run was 15 yards. Yeah. And I think he had like three, maybe four runs of 10-plus yards. When he averaged, I think he averaged 4.97 yards per carry, he pretty much got 4.97 yeah. yards on every single play with a couple exceptions. And I think somebody mentioned that he didn't have a single negative rush, which I haven't double-checked, but wow. I don't remember him rushing for negative yards. Yeah. He just It's just every single play, you get four yards, you get another four yards, you get another four yards and a first down, and yeah. that's how they survived in the second half.
1: Yeah, which is exactly what we've been waiting to see out of one of the backs for you know how many games somebody who can consistently just get you know yard after yard and get those third down runs especially and um I and they converted um I don't have the number in front of me I know they converted um most of their third downs in the game um, which you know was really kind of a, a lot part of just that steady rushing game
0: yeah they were eight of eighteen so not bad
1: yeah not bad that's that's about. average but um, yeah that's uh, he he was definitely a really good surprise and somebody who definitely coming into the game I did not expect to have quite the game they did but like you say Jalen Warren going out early that definitely played a big factor and I'm sure you know not getting off the best start throwing the ball had had a part to play in that too but I want to switch over to the other side of the ball and talk about how well the defense played and um, ask the question do you think that as well as the defense played in that game um, that was kind of like the the one thing that you wanted to see coming out of that game, heading into this game this next week, because um, we probably a lot of the question marks from this you know early season has been on the defensive side of the ball, um, and I thought they put together a great ap- performance again, and they're going to have easily their their toughest task coming into yeah. this next one.
0: Well, this is my opinion was the most complete defensive performance they've had. I don't know much how much the rain helped that. In fact, that they end up forcing like three fumbles in the second half, probably mm-hmm. helped by the rain, but. Look at the secondary against a team that has passed pretty well. Just putting it one way. Yeah. They passed pretty well. Pretty well. Uh, They've, you know, Marvin Kinsey came in. He he had like 240 yards his previous outing and they completely
1: shut him down. Yeah.
0: He averaged, yeah, like 3.2 yards per carry. They kept handing him the ball and he kept doing nothing with it. Mm -hmm. And so the front seven played extremely well. And I mean, you think, well, they allowed 24 points. Well, seven of those came off a blocked punt, I believe. Yep. And then they gave up, I think, a field goal or something like that on another one.
1: And then obviously the pick six.
0: Yeah, so the pick six. So really the defense only gave up 17 points, and 10 of them were directly off of turnovers that yep. resulted in really, really good field position. hmm So, I mean, the defensive performance was just amazing. Uh, it was as good as any other game, and I think better. And so I think we've seen this defense almost literally get better every single week.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it was good to see, you know, similarly to the uh, San Diego State game the, the week prior, um, the secondary was flying all over the place making tackles. Um, this time it was, you know, Troy Leffridge ended up having 11 tackles on the game, second only behind David Woodward, who had a stellar night, obviously. Yeah. Um, and that definitely, uh, we asked, coach about that um, in, in the post game. I can't remember who asked the question, but um, about how he feels about the secondary and um, they're definitely coming a lot more complete um, throughout, you know, the last two games, having Cameron, Cameron Haney back really is, I mean, worked wonders for the secondary. Yeah, And
0: Haney came back in, he had three more pass breakups. He now leads yeah. the team having played two games.
1: Yeah. yeah he, he really is like the, the shutdown corner, if you will, um, that they've been missing this whole season.
0: Yeah. Didn't have anything to add. To that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how that's how good he plays. It, it's just he it, you, leave, you just at, at times.
0: Yeah. And he sometimes he's just, you don't see him much on the field, which is the good thing about a shutdown corner. Mm-hmm. It was like when uh, it was like the bowl game that DJ Williams had. I don't remember him doing anything except he had the two picks, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember seeing his number anywhere else on the field the entire game, which meant that he did his job. And that's kind of what Cameron Haney does. He had those three pass breakups. A lot of them were early, and then it was like, "Where's Cameron Haney?
1: Well, yeah, and like they kind of, they kind of stopped throwing the ball for the most part. Like they only had thirty passing attempts on the game, which you know, coming from the week prior where they were slinging it all over the place, I think it had something around fifty-two or something like that. Yeah, I really thought that would play a much bigger part, but they definitely were able to shut down Patrick O'Brien a lot, a lot early on, which you know, obviously led to them. Yeah, and they of, had
0: uh Nate Craig Williams who Craig Myers. Ma- Craig Myers
1: yeah. I'm
0: just having all these name problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh you know, he had that big catch and he had three catches for ninety seven yards, and I think it was all in the first half. hmm Well nothing and, in the second
1: half. Yeah, and, and the one the one thing that you look at that's definitely the the biggest mistake was that sixty five yard touchdown pass that really kind of you know, resulted in them losing coverage. Um, you know, up closer to the line and being able to squeeze out in the middle and you know just bust away for a sixty-five yarder, which really was interesting to me because they they were playing so tight throughout the game. And I haven't been able to go back and watch that play. You know, exactly and break it down, but it did look like you know at least watching it live that it was just completely blown coverage, which you haven't seen from them much over the past couple games.
0: Yeah, really, only a couple of times I think it's happened, mostly against Wake Forest, mm-hmm. I think.
1: And, and a lot of that was, you know, some some blown coverages, but a lot of it was just, you know, exploiting those matchups that they had yeah. and, you know, just keep going back and back and back to those to those matchups. But I thought they played well. Um, I thought what they did on, on the defensive side of the ball definitely was one of the, be- were the better performances, the better factors that you wanted to see coming out of the game. Um, and I don't know, how, how did you feel overall just kind of if you were to take this and lump everything into one one little bundle and say, this was a success would you say so or would you think it
0: was a success on defense forget about what happened on offense and just move on yeah like don't th- don't act like this in terms of offense was indicative of how you play just move on move on to LSU but this was i think very indicative of how the defense can play
1: so yeah before we actually do move on to LSU um Let's let's talk about. I know one thing that you you kind of wanted to focus on a little bit more was how Jordan Love's played um, this season and some of the inconsistencies. So I'll, I'll turn the floor over to you.
0: So the one thing that I've that I noticed, and I'm working on this really stupid long film breakdown article on Jordan Love's interceptions this year.
1: So stay tuned for the for the article on yeah. the USU It's where? it's
0: possible the article will be published by the time this is. I'm hoping to get it done the night of our recording here. And so the thing that stuck out is that Jordan Love, his interception rate has more than doubled. Last year, 1.4% of his passes ended up being interceptions. He had five interceptions in like 407 attempts, I think, something Mm. to that effect. And this year he has five interceptions out of, I think, 162. Mm. So that's 1.4% to 3.1% which I know it doesn't seem like a lot. It's like 1.7% jump. But that's an enormous jump yeah. for those kind of things. And it's kind of worrying because each of those interceptions, again, I feel like it's not like last year where a lot of them just didn't feel like his fault. This year I feel like they're playing their direct results from some of his weaknesses. Mm. Some of those weaknesses being I don't feel like he – you don't necessarily thinks after the snap. Sometimes yeah. I say sometimes, there'll be plays where it's like I'm making this throw, and that's that. Mm-hmm. And other times, maybe he's a little too confident. That's it was one of the interceptions against Wake Forest was him just making a poor decision. And I'm not sure. Like I, I w- kind of wanted to ask you, like how worried would you be about these interceptions? Because he's got as many as he did all of last year, mm-hmm. and he's only played four
1: games. Well, so yeah, let me let me play devil's advocate a little bit here and say, um, and I'll kind of come back to your question in a long, a long-winded answer. But um, you know, I'm obviously not a, an NFL film scout kind of a guy. But when you see all of them on you know Twitter and on the internet posting articles about how all these certain things about Jordan Love's game. Makes him, you know, a top end talent, first round talent, and something that I always see is that decisiveness, being able to, you know, make quick decisions. Do you think it's kind of a double edged sword where it's like he's really good at making the decisions when, you know, maybe the the coverage is still kind of not showing exactly what he wants, but he makes the decisions, he sees where the wide receiver is going to end up, and he makes that throw, and sometimes that works out, but sometimes it doesn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see that. It definitely is a positive that he has the confidence to make these throws. It's just worrying to see the same things coming up over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like if he has an interception because a wide receiver drops the ball or maybe one time he overthrows the receiver or one time he just makes a bad decision, those happen. Tom Brady makes dumb interceptions. You know, Peyton Manning did it. Joe Montana did it. List off all the great quarterbacks. They have a ton of dumb interceptions.
1: Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes. Watch his film at Texas Tech. Made a ton of bad throws. Yeah. But what quarterback um, you know gurus, if you want to call them that, always said was that what you can take out of that is obviously you know some of those are just terrible throws, but the the, the confidence to make those throws is what they really look at, yeah
0: I, another thing is just a lot of these are a combination of bad decisions and poor throws mm-hmm. or and maybe it's confidence because you look at you know his first interception of the season, it was he threw it kind of off his back foot, leaning away. There was no reason for him to do that. he wasn't facing any pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean another one the one that we've seen, I think, three or four times has been sideline throws. Yeah. And some of that may be just defenses watching film because you look at the two interceptions he had against Colorado State, both were sideline throws, and they're long throws that stay in the air forever, and both of the Colorado State backs were able to jump them like they knew it was coming. So maybe some of it's the predictability of the offense but I think Jordan Love sometimes needs, needs to recognize when he needs to not make a throw.
1: Yeah. Okay, so let me go back and answer your question because that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't think it's necessarily the case of like we should be worried about, um, you know, maybe where his mental state is and maybe he's losing confidence and he's just making bad throws. Like you could kind of see, you know, when a quarterback loses his edge and he just starts making bad throws because he's not sure what to do with the ball. I think it's the case of like you're talking about how people just know that if he makes that sideline throw, you are going to be able to jump it. He's done it multiple times now. Like you said, the first or the, excuse me, the second interception in the Wake Forest game was that throw was to the sideline. Both of the Colorado State ones um, last year, if you remember, in the Boise State game, the one that kind of threw off his rhythm in the first quarter, sideline throw. That's just something that if you know coaches are watching film and telling their guys, hey, if he throws that ball out to the sideline, he's already made up his mind that he's going to throw that route. You can jump it. I think that's what's happening. People are just kind of coming around, similar to you know how uh, co- quarterbacks, or, excuse me, coordinators come around to you know like running quarterbacks and people doing the RPOs and stuff like that. Eventually, you watch enough film, you can find a way to kind of counteract that, and you're going to be able to predict when somebody's going to do something. Those tendencies is something that I think Jordan Love just needs to do a little bit better at not giving off. And maybe it's the case where I'm I might be completely speaking out of my butt right now saying it, but. Maybe it's the case where you have to start uh, plugging in stuff like double routes. Um, I I watched a cool clip the other day of Deshaun Watson um, breaking down some of their coverages because the reporter asked, like, you know, the defense was playing certain coverages, and Deshaun Watson kind of said, like, well, do you know what coverages they are playing? Like, here's kind of what we're seeing and what we have to do to adjust to that. And he was talking about throwing those double routes where it's like if they're going to cheat in and play, you know, on the corner like that, that's the only throw that's going to be you know, available to make. And I don't know if it's that it's just making adjustments or just not making those throws. But that's what I would say. It's more a case of not making the throws that, you know, are risky um, because of, you know, something that's been repeated over and over. And, you know, maybe he can still be able to make those like downfield shots that are a little bit more risky. It's just those sideline ones are just been played out by now. Yeah.
0: Well, and you mentioned throwing risky passes. It was kind of like his, it was his third interception against Wake Forest. He had two options. He had the option to throw to Caleb Rep or Gerald Bright. Mm-hmm. And given the situation, it was there was like less than 30 seconds, and he was running to the sideline. He got flushed out of the pocket because Alfred Edwards got bull rushed real hard. And he decided to throw a rep, and he had to throw over a linebacker. Well, he didn't throw over the linebacker because he picked it off. Right. And it was a slightly bad decision because he probably just should have thrown it to Gerald Bright because mm-hmm. they would have put him. They have just gotten into field goal range. They would have been slightly more into field goal range. There's also a poor throw because he's throwing to the six foot five Caleb Rep, and he underthrows it. Yeah. But again, that that one was more of a he made a singular dumb mistake that you can you don't like it, but you can accept it. But I, I think you are right in terms of you know the film and the teams recognizing that. And I think one thing with Jordan Love that he needs to be able to do is, you know, their teams are you know they always talk about figuring players out mm-hmm. they have that breakout year and you can talk about maybe a sophomore slump or i guess maybe a junior slump right which i don't think jordan loves really going through this is just this is just kind of we're nitpicking one area of his game where oh he's definitely nitpicking well. yeah and it's where you have to learn to overcome when teams start to focus on you because you know, we, we had this conversation about how many you know kind of one hit wonder quarterbacks we've seen and how in like in the nfl right So many of them come into the league, they're superstars, and then they don't maintain that because they can't overcome when teams begin to figure them out. Right. The great ones, you know, are able to keep it up. They're able to find new ways to do that. I think Jordan Love needs to figure out new ways, you know, double routes, maybe something like that, or just learning to maybe recognize that corner is going to jump the route. Right. If I throw this, I have to go somewhere else. Yeah, which can be hard because I think Utah State's offense is so dependent on timing routes. Mm-hmm. He has no choice but to throw those. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the things that kind of frustrates me about the offensive system right now.
1: Well, and that's one thing that I I really did like what I saw early on in the game, especially that it seemed like those you know timing routes, especially when he was getting pressured, were coming off a lot better. He was taking the safe option um, a lot more often. And kind of going to, like, Gerald Bright and Caleb Repper, kind of his safety blankets right now, where it's like he, he knows he can get five yards out of those guys. And maybe it's a case where some of those throws maybe just need to come off a little bit more often. Yeah. Well, I think there are
0: times when he's been forced to kind of ad-lib a little bit, and I feel like he's done pretty well in those situations. I would agree, yeah. But sometimes they're not letting him. I don't. And again, maybe this could be... I've been pinning this more on Jordan Levin. Maybe it's just a lot of it's on the coaching staff. Hmm. So the, there's certainly... And and Coach Anderson certainly uh, talked about this after the game. There's a lot more nuance into an interception than oh, yeah. Jordan Love makes bad throw or receiver drops the ball or whatever. Right. So I, I think for me, I'm slightly worried, even though I, I kind of predicted this. I know I think in a previous podcast I said Jordan Love might have 15 or 16 interceptions this yeah, year. Yeah, I believe you did. But now I'm worried that it's actually happening. Ah, so, Scrooge
1: over here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. Well, I mean, you look at quarterbacks who have at least 160 attempts. I think there are 17 of them, and he ranks 15th in touchdown and interception ratio, which I don't like. Yeah. He's doing all right in yards, but again, he's always done all right in yards. So, and again, kind of nitpicking here, but the great ones get nitpicked.
1: What we, yeah, exactly. We really are nitpicking to the highest level, but I think it's because you know there is so much so much buzz around him and clearly you know there's a ton of talent there too so it's it's almost kind of right to nitpick because like what are you going to talk about? Like he's not throwing, you know, terrible passes that are going five yards down the field. Like he's he's making a lot of the really good throws. It's just like those ones that we're talking about that can really change a game that we're looking for.
0: Yeah. you got to fine-tune all the things. And these are the things he has to improve to be a good quarterback at the NFL level. Hey, Patrick Mahomes, he learned how to do it, and he had a year to sit in the NFL. Right. And learn all these things, and I hope Jordan Love gets that same chance. If he has to start day one, he's going to be out of the league in five years. Yeah.
1: Well, well, we'll definitely see how that pans out. But I, th- I think, yeah, that's that would be huge for him to be able to get the opportunity like that and be able to kind of, like you're saying, Patrick Mahomes having that year to kind of sit behind somebody like Alex Smith and then really just kind of, it, it really does help a quarterback yeah. not have to go into the fire day one.
0: Yeah, I think people wanting to start their quarterback week one, that's just so bad for him. so many times. There's a lot of quarterbacks who sat a year and did pretty well for themselves.
1: Yeah. Go, go down the list There's a ton of them Yeah But um, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that On a, on a further podcast Actually we'll, we'll get into Something similar here In just a little bit With a, a new segment We're going to debut And uh, kind of test Jason's knowledge On how well those quarterbacks Actually are playing And maybe where they're Actually playing right now
0: Yeah we're going to stick with Where they're playing
1: <laughs> <laughs> Okay we'll, uh, we'll be back with that And we'll be back with A preview of LSU In, in just a little bit Stick with us Text football to 435-797-2346 for a chance to win two tickets to a USU football home game. Alright, we're back here on the podcast, and we're gonna do something a little bit different this time, and we're gonna talk about some of the quarterbacks in the NFL and particularly where they for, play. I don't
0: know if we're gonna talk about it, <laughs> let's just call them out. Exactly. So, him.
1: what we're gonna do here is I have a task for Jason, and that task is to name every single starting quarterback of every one of the 32 NFL teams, yeah. and we're gonna grade him and we're gonna see how well he does. Yeah.
0: So we'll have this where you tell me the name. Well, I'm not gonna. You're not gonna make me name all the NFL teams. So you name the team and I'll name the quarterback. Precisely. Although I could probably do both to be quite honest.
1: <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna jump into this and we're gonna start with the NFC East. The NFC East. The NFC East. So get it, your get your thinking cap on. This is
0: the one where I had a team I couldn't remember. I was thinking about this before. I, this one has one. I don't think I know it.
1: Well, we're going to really test you here early on. So let's start with the Washington Redskins. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. <laughs> I had a feeling. I can't
0: remember who's been starting for them. They have Dwayne Haskins there. Although John Gruden says he doesn't even know who he wants to play. Um, is it Case Keenum? Has he been starting for Correct. Them? Oh, really? Correct. Okay. I couldn't remember. He'd been bouncing around for a while.
1: I, I believe uh, I, know, I know Haskins got a little bit of run, but Case Keenum looks like he's had the most consistent time yeah. starting this year. So
0: Al- Alex Smith is on the team, technically, isn't he?
1: He's still on the team. I believe he's injured. Um, yeah, he's been injured. So yeah, yeah
0: he, all, all prayers to him, man. He didn't deserve what he
1: had to go through there. Yeah, he's yeah, What a career! But anyways, so let's move on to the next team, the Philadelphia Eagles. So Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, good job. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott. That was a pretty easy one. <laughs> That's a pretty easy, well. So was the <laughs> Some of these are pretty easy ones. And uh, final team, the New York Giants.
0: It was Eli Manning, and it is now Daniel
1: Jones. Correct. Double points. I thought maybe that was the one where we'd kind of get you, but... <laughs>
0: no, I, I I got
1: that Okay. One. Okay. Moving on. The <laughs> NFC South. Let's start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
0: Uh, Jameis Winston, I believe... They haven't started anybody else's because... Surprisingly not. They bounced back between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston last year, but this year I think Jameis has been starting every week.
1: Yeah, Fitzpatrick has moved on, and so, yeah, now it's been He's with another team now. Yep, that is correct. (laughs) He is with another team. Um, So moving on to that, uh, the New Orleans Saints.
0: Oh, it was Drew Brees. Now it's Teddy Bridgewater.
1: Correct, correct. Ooh, flexing the muscles early on. Doing pretty well. So, what about the Atlanta Falcons? Still
0: Matt Ryan. Still. I don't think that's changed.
1: No, that's not going to change anytime <laughs> soon, I don't <laughs> think. Not, not
0: unless he gets injured.
1: So, And <laughs> wrapping up the division, we have the Carolina Panthers. Cam Newton. Cam Newton. All right. So, looks like we're eight for eight so he far. injured? So, moving on, let's go to the NFC West and start with the Seattle Seahawks.
0: It's a Russell Wilson.
1: Russell, yeah. It's a pretty easy one. Yeah. There's, there's some mainstays on here that you'll probably get yeah. right. But um, let's go to the... Um, newly uh newly switched up uh Arizona Cardinals.
0: This is Kyler Murray.
1: Kyler Murray, that's right. Yeah. What's
0: the all five, five foot nine oh. Kyler Murray?
1: <laughs> the conspiracy tapes. How how tall is he?
0: He's sometimes five foot ten.
1: Sometimes it fluctuates. Depends on how how he's tall. sometimes six foot one. Depends on how good his line's playing that day, how tall he is. <laughs> all right, let's uh move on to the Los Angeles Rams.
0: So Jared Goff.
1: Jared Goff, all right. And the uh, final team of that division, the San Francisco 49ers.
0: Jimmy Garoppolo.
1: Yes, I believe you are correct for all of those so far. So looking good. We're moving on to the final NFC division, and that would be the NFC North, and we'll start out with the Minnesota Vikings. It's Kirk Cousins, isn't it? It is, yeah, surprisingly. It still is. Still? Still is. Um, how about the Green Bay Packers? it's oh, a tough one, man.
0: I don't know. Probably Aaron Rodgers still. I thought Brett
1: Favre was still kicking around the building somewhere. He's probably
0: somewhere around there. <laughs> somewhere.
1: <laughs> He's not on his mower in Mississippi. Yeah. He's probably around the facility. All right, so next we have the Chicago Bears. Mitch Trubisky. Yes, correct. And the final team is the Detroit Lions. Matthew
0: Stafford.
1: Yes. All right. So you just blew right through the NFC. <laughs> yeah. I thought there was going to be a couple, a uh, couple roadblocks there. The, the
0: Redskins was the one I was really worried about. <laughs> so I was like, "Is Case Keenum on the Redskins? Because yeah. he was on the Vikings, I believe." And then it was the Broncos. he was on the Broncos. Yeah. I wasn't sure if he was still on the Broncos or not.
1: Well, that gives you a little clue into what's going on in Denver. So we'll we'll start out there. Let's go to All the right. AFC West to start out and go with said Broncos.
0: It's uh, Joe Flacco, isn't it? Still, Or I do believe- they bench him? He's still starting, isn't he?
1: It, it is still Joe Flacco. Surprisingly, Good. another one of those where it just maybe doesn't make sense, but well, who else <laughs> Exactly, the Paxton Lynch experiment didn't work is out. Is he so. still on the team? No, I believe he's he's actually on the Seahawks. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what P Carroll was thinking, but um, he needs a backup. He needs a backup. So we got the uh, San Diego. Oh gosh, man, what what year is it? I it's uh, it's only two years after this, so <laughs> I, you're not
0: doing too bad. You're only two years behind.
1: <laughs> the ratio of people to hear every time I say San Diego to L.A. is it's awful. It's probably in the 80s. But anyways, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers.
0: Philip Rivers, did. did he get injured or is he still doing it? Yeah, I, believe he's I can't still, remember who's getting injured this year. It's I know, like right?
1: everybody. <laughs> it se- yeah, it seems like every week at least half the quarterbacks get injured. But no, I believe he's still, he's still kicking around for uh, Los Angeles. And so let's move on to the um, Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Patty Mahomes. Patty.
1: Good old Patty. Still it It's like the it up.
0: only quarterback who's not been a one hit one to the last five
1: years. I know. He really is the accessory. He's actually
0: backing up how good he was in his first year.
1: Our final team in the AFC West Division is the Oakland Raiders.
0: It's Derek Carr.
1: It is still Derek Carr. You are correct. Um, I don't know if John Gruden approves that or not, but we'll move on. <laughs> what does John Gruden approve of? <laughs> Who really knows, honestly? Um, Let's go to the uh, AFC North and start with the Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: Mason Rudolph, yes, it was it was Ben Roethlisberger. Now it's Mason Rudolph. A
1: slight pause, and <laughs> I had to think. I knew who it was,
0: but it was like, oh shoot, that was another one of those injured guys.
1: Yeah. Uh, young young Mason taking over the reins there. See, in rookie is he second year, second year, um, but yeah, well, maybe maybe playing like a rookie, but.
0: No, oh, he was like twenty of twenty four. But he like threw all of his passes behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah.
1: Anyways, um, <laughs> let's move on to the uh, Baltimore Ravens.
0: It's Lamar Jackson. It
1: is Lamar Jackson one of the bigger surprises in the NFL? Um, how about the uh, Cincinnati Bengals? Still
0: Andy Dalton, unless something's changed.
1: <laughs> no, nope. <laughs> Nothing's changed in Cincinnati.
0: <laughs> I don't know how that guy has been able to start for like eight years straight, but
1: it's kind of funny that Marvin Lewis finally got canned, but. Andy yeah. Dalton's still kicking around. He's
0: like the picture of mediocrity.
1: It really is. It really is.
0: He's like if Ryan Fitzpatrick stuck around on one team.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe if Joe Flacco stuck around on the Ravens for.
0: Yeah, he was, he's a lot very similar in that sense. Yeah. If you like right. won a Super Bowl, so yeah, you
1: got to have that on the resume. Um. Really, the only thing that makes Eli Manning a decent quarterback. But, anyways, we we've gone past the Giants. Uh, let's go to the last t- team in the AFC North Division and talk about the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield still doing the thing, and uh, doing the quarterback, doing thing. the quarterback thing. <laughs> still taking that job. Debatably over. well, <laughs> exactly. Depending on who you ask. Exactly. All right. Let's go to the um, AFC South and start with the Indianapolis Colts. Jacoby Percet. It is. Former
0: New England Patriot, Jacoby Percet.
1: It is. How do you think that trade uh worked out for you guys? Philip Dorsett.
0: It's working out pretty well for both teams, I think. Dorset's not bad.
1: Yeah. It's actually one of the rare cases. That I think both teams came way better.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised how good Jacoby Purset's doing. I think I thought he was a pretty good backup. Maybe the Texans twenty seven to zero with him, where was like, but he's throwing the ball pretty well too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean not the lead level, but pretty good mm-hmm. enough that T.Y. Hilton's been relevant for fantasy for me <laughs> yeah
1: he's, he's yeah, the T.Y. Hilton of old um and let's go to the Houston Texans like you just brought up uh it's Deshaun Watson it is Deshaun Watson and he's gonna get
0: injured that's, he's, yeah, that that poor man
1: that yeah that's gonna be another one we'll have to keep our eyes on but um sticking in the division what about the Jacksonville Jaguars Gardner Minshew it is Gardner Minshew oh. I was trying to remember
0: his first name I was like guy with the mustache
1: yeah <laughs> That's mustache his name.
0: man because uh, uh, what happened to the oh shoot I forgot his name I for know,
1: bonus the, points who did they sign for 88 million dollars in the in the offseason
0: Nick Foles yes correct yeah that was the guy that started, did he get
1: injured or did they just bench him got injured week one yep
0: what did he break <laughs>
1: Uh, Just pride. I'm not sure, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have that on hand. (laughs) I can't can't
0: remember. He did something.
1: He did something. And uh, wrapping up the division, the Tennessee Titans.
0: Still Marcus Mariota.
1: It is. It was interesting that brought in Ryan Tannehill, but it still is Marcus Mariota.
0: (laughs) Ryan Tannehill is just like Andy Dalton except worse. Yeah,
1: just (laughs) often injured. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, so let's switch over to the um, AFC East Exactly. So let's go to the Patriots and uh, see if you know your team.
0: Tom Brady, Jarrett Stidham. And I just forgot who they signed just barely. <laughs> what was his name?
1: I'm not giving you any backup points for backup quarterbacks.
0: Oh, they just signed a third guy. I can't remember. I don't remember who it was. Whatever. I got the backup.
1: If you can get it by the end of the game, we'll give you an extra point. Right, but I we're prob- moving on. I probably won't. Miami Dolphins.
0: Oh, shoot.
1: Ooh. We finally stumped the man.
0: Is it Ryan Fitzpatrick? Is he starting, or is he on the Jets? Oh, shoot. It is Ryan Fitzpatrick. At least it was when they played, when the Dolphins played the Patriots, it was Ryan Fitzpatrick.
1: Moving on to the next team in the division, the Buffalo Bills.
0: Josh Allen. Yes, correct.
1: And the final team in that division is...
0: Do you not remember the team? I've been doing it
1: off all off memory. Give me one second.
0: Really, that's impressive. I know who it is. I'm trying to think of the quarterback. I know who's supposed to be starting, but I can't remember who's been the backup.
1: Ah, oh, gosh, I can't believe I. We were just talking about uh, fellow fellow New York Jets quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick.
0: Yeah, so it's the Jets. So it's supposed to be it's supposed to be Sam Darnold, but he's been injured. He has mono. Right. And I don't know who's been starting in his place.
1: I'll give you one hint if you'd like one hint.
0: Give me another, like four or five seconds here.
1: Oh, who play, played? Who played? Okay, here's your one hint. It's relevant to the region that we live in. This quarterback. Give you five seconds.
0: Nah, I don't got
1: it. Last guesses? Nothing. <sighs> Former Logan High quarterback. Oh, Luke, Luke Falk. Luke Yes. Dang it. Almost had that. We <laughs> almost made it all the way through. It's on the team, it's on one of my division teams. That's the one I had the
0: hardest time. It was the only division that my team plays in. <laughs> uh, yeah, Luke Falk. Well, to make it partial, I knew who the supposed to be starter was.
1: Well, yeah, we'll give you some credit for that, for at least. I got half credit what? on
0: a couple of them, and, uh, but I pretty much nailed most of them.
1: Yeah, pretty much made it all the way through.
0: Those backups, it'll trip me up sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah, that was the final one. Well, we almost <laughs> ended on a high note, but
0: almost. Yet, yeah, we we started on a note that I thought was going to be bad, and ended up being the Jets that I couldn't remember.
1: Uh, well, all right, we're gonna we're gonna put this out and uh, see if see if you guys can get more than thirty one out of thirty two. We'll give you partial credit counted as a full credit.
0: I think I got thirty one because I got partial credit on like two of them. Yeah,
1: we'll give you yeah maybe thirty if I was really going to grade you harshly. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, out of all the quarterbacks we just named, none of them hail from this school we're about to talk about now, and that is LSU. Currently, I don't think they have a starting quarterback in the NFL.
0: No, they have a backup who's wandering around somewhere. I forget his name.
1: Zach Mettenberger. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, he was
0: last I knew, I think he was on maybe the Titans.
1: Yeah, he's played on the Titans. He played on the he was on the Steelers for a brief second, but yeah,
0: he's he's been to a lot of teams. Yeah, he's he's bounced around the NFL. I think he started a handful of games, whatnot, but mostly an in injury reserve.
1: So right now, it looks like there's actually probably a fair chance that the quarterback they have now uh, might be one of the best they've had in a long time.
0: Yeah, and he might be starting for an NFL team uh, come next year. Or, you know, what year is he in?
1: He's a senior this year. He's so, a senior, so yeah. he
0: will not be in college football next year. No. He won't be playing for the LSU Fighting Tigers. Yeah,
1: so let's, let's get into that real quickly because neither of us, when we started doing some research for this, knew that it was the Fighting Tigers. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I was just looking at college football reference and right before we started I happened to look up at the tab and it said LSU Fighting. I was like, "Wait, look down at the page. LSU Fighting Tigers." I'm like, "What?" I thought it was only the Irish who used that.
1: Yeah, I don't think th- that's one of those things that I don't think it's ever been like a uh, a common thing to call them the Fighting Tigers. I've yeah. not heard one broadcast in my life that they called them the Fighting Tigers.
0: No, no, like, maybe some of the LSU specific broadcast might use it poetically that's about as far as i imagine it goes
1: so apparently just briefly on where they got their name apparently comes from the uh mexican war it looks like according to historian dan hardesty
0: the mexican war yes fighting tigers
1: it was said uh, they use tigers. A military regiment known as the Louisiana Tigers distinguished itself with its fighting spirit in the Battle of Shenandoah Valley. Fought like tigers. So, apparently, that's where it comes the from. Of the
0: tiger the thrill of the fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're big karaoke fans over in Baton Rouge. <laughs> I'm sure they
0: love They play. probably
1: are, honestly, with Mardi Gras and everything in yeah, surrounding well, that's, areas. That's a
0: whole different can of worms you can open up down there.
1: So, should I make the pun and say that? Uh, this weekend's game will probably be something like a party for LSU. Sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it figures that, like, if, if, if it goes anything like the line is set right now, it, it definitely could be. Yeah. So right now, if anybody's unaware, the line is set at 28 points uh, in favor of the home team. Um definitely the biggest line USU's faced all season. Um yeah, and, and will face all and season. And will face I all hope. season. <laughs> yeah, if things go well.
0: I hope nobody's putting a minus twenty eight line on U- on the opponent of Utah State that's like New Mexico. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's I Utah State gonna be minus twenty eight against New Mexico.
1: Probably. Probably. Well they were just twenty 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 three and a half point favorites over Colorado State this past weekend and that shrunk all the way down to ten, so Yeah. Um so let's let's uh I'm gonna turn the turn it over to you and say um there's a lot of things that this this LSU team does right. I mean, they constantly have one of the best defenses in the country. Um, that might be you know up for debate this year with some of the games that they played in, but they actually have one of the best offenses in the country, which is quite the surprise, um, especially when you talk about the passing game led by said uh, Joe Burrow. We talked about just a little bit ago. Um, what do you what are you looking at this LSU Tigers team to do um, that really kind of worries you? If you're Utah State first and foremost,
0: well. Joe Burrow worries me. <laughs> that's that's just what it comes down to. This is a guy who's completing eighty percent of his passes. Granted, their schedule's not the most difficult, but if you complete eighty percent of your passes and are like, I believe he's leading the nation in y- total yards and probably in yards per game because he's averaging like three hundred and eighty. He,
1: he's he's dropped a fifth in the nation. That's only because they had a bye this past week.
0: Oh, so in total yards, so he's mm-hmm. down. Okay. All right, so he's still leading in like to- in average per game, I think, probably around 380, I think, whatever 1,500 yep. divided by 4 is or yep. 5 or something like that.
1: 380.
0: Yeah, and again, like above 80% of his passes, I think 17 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio, and just, that's that's not a fluke. It doesn't matter what schedule you're playing. No. Granted, it's, it's Georgia Southern, Texas, Northwestern State, and Vanderbilt. And to he's at Texas and at Vandy. So those aren't two cakewalk, complete cakewalk opponents, especially Texas, because uh, Texas got they're a pretty good team themselves. Yeah, and they're a top twenty-five, I believe. They're a
1: top ten team when those teams uh, met each other in Texas, and and that was actually you know one of the one of his better games, if you want to say so. He threw for four hundred seventy-one yards. He completed thirty-one of thirty-nine passes four touchdowns. So it's not like even going against high opposition, he's having a fluke of a game. He's he's performing week in and week out.
0: Uh, he's he's just a really good quarterback. I know PFF has him as I think their Heisman front runner, and in pretty much everybody else. He's a Heisman like top candidate, like not a dark horse candidate. He's a legit candidate. Yeah, you know along there with Jalen Hurts and uh, I think two still in there, and uh, Trevor's kind of dropped out of it.
1: Trevor yeah. I would imagine Justin Herbert might be somewhere in the conversation, but he might have dropped out of it as well.
0: Yeah, but these if you're looking looking at the top three quarter three Heisman candidates who are well, they're always quarterbacks, right? He's in that conversation still, four or five weeks in, which says something about anybody if you can stay in the Heisman race. That's elite. Yeah, and this is going to be the best quarterback Utah State bases all year, easily the best passing offense, the best offense. Uh, I wouldn't say one of the better defenses which might be Utah State's only saving grace in this game. The defense doesn't look like it's... It's like they flipped from like a really good defense in a ground-and-pound game to the complete opposite of a... Right. Not quite as good of a defense, to, but a a stupid good offense, and a stupid good quarterback.
1: It's kind of like what you saw a lot with um, Ohio State last year when they got Dwayne Haskins in there and just started throwing the ball 50 times a game for 450 yards. They, yeah. they really kind of had that same blueprint for a lot of years and then shot all the way up at the top of the passing charts, and it seems like LSU's started to do that again. Yeah,
0: It's kind of like what Alabama did. They were pumping mm-hmm. out NFL running backs every single year, mm-hmm. and then suddenly they get Tua in there. Of course, Alabama still has a good defense. LSU hasn't quite maintained that. But
1: but that's what the best coaches do, right? Yeah. The best coaches in the country they adapt to the talent that they have, mm-hmm. and they make the bo- the best out of it. And that's definitely something that Ed Orgeron's done, especially bringing in um, uh, coordinator Joe Brady from the Saints. You know, with his time working under Sean Payton, like they're they're definitely taking the talent that they have and making the most of it. Yeah.
0: And so, just the biggest worry that you have for Utah State is that you know, despite the fact that I very much believe the I think we both believe the secondary has much improved. Yeah. You know, it was like Wake Forest; they have a lot of matchup problems. I think LSU is going to be the same thing, and uh, they have a quarterback who can exploit that. Granted, Wake Forest quarterback ain't doing too bad either.
1: You know what's funny about that? I was I was just thinking that when I was doing the research for this, uh, for, and for actually an article I wrote for uh, the Statesman about you know previewing this game, Jamie Newman's up there in the top five as well. Somebody who maybe we didn't expect to be you know throwing at the level he has, but we've gotten Wake Forest to a uh, undefeated this season and you know in the top twenty-five. So. Another yeah. really good team on the schedule,
0: yeah, and, and a good quarterback for them, So, but if they can keep the Utah State can keep this game close, which I think is possible but unlikely. Then you can come out with your head held high at least, maybe not happy. Obviously, you're never happy with a loss. But if Utah State can kind of keep pace with LSU's offense. That's kind of the hope in this game is that you don't lay a complete dud of a game.
1: Okay, I'm just going to ask you point blank because this is a a discussion I've seen on Twitter over the past couple days, and um, something we'll probably be having, you know, over the next couple games until or the days until the leading up to the game, Um, the the spread being at 28 points. That's four touchdowns, right? Do you think that Utah State's going to lose by four touchdowns? And currently, the line's set at 75 points, or excuse me, 72.5 points. I believe is the over under. If so, if you look at those two numbers, essentially what they're saying is it's going to be, you know, Utah State somewhere in the twenties, LSU probably somewhere in the high forties.
0: Yeah, I'd see that. I'd see something to the effect of like forty-two, somewhere between forty-two and forty-nine, maybe even fifty if it's a bad night for Utah State, and then the Aggies somewhere in the twenties. You know, they'll have some good offense, but there's probably going to be a lot of mistakes they make in there because they're playing. You know, LSU might not have the greatest defense, but they have a lot of really good athletes. And Utah State often struggles against really good athletes in just about any sport, actually. It's not just football. Uh, so I think, you know, will really do good because they have a good quarterback, and they have a good offense, but they're going to lack a lot of the elite talent to keep up and then beat LSU. So something to the effect of, like, 45 to 20 wouldn't be out of the question. I think four touchdowns I might lean towards the under, but it's like right there.
1: Do you think this is a case where Utah State's probably going to be pressing? They're probably going to be throwing the ball a lot?
0: Oh yeah, Jordan Love might throw the ball 50 times.
1: So if Jordan Love throws the ball 50 times, we talked about earlier in the podcast some of the decision-making with Jordan Love. Do you see this being a case where he throws multiple interceptions and you know, maybe could be a possibility where his interceptions are higher than his touchdowns?
0: Depends if he throws those hitch routes and those <laughs> sideline routes. If he doesn't throw those, I think he could have three touchdowns, maybe one interception. That one a might not be his fault. Because, again, it, it largely comes down to those throws. Like it, It's a very common throw that he makes that that's where the interception comes on. But everywhere else, he's generally really safe. But I don't think he'll throw more interceptions and touchdowns, not unless LSU manages to keep him from throwing a single touchdown. Say I think he'll have a couple of touchdown passes at least, maybe three, maybe even four. Just depends on how good they are in the red zone.
1: Could you be? Could you see this being a scenario where Utah State actually comes out very conservative, knowing that they're going to play against you know LSU, the, the caliber of team they are? And they better not. If they have any come t- out
0: slinging the ball, what do you <laughs> get to lose, you're 28 point underdog. Sling that ball.
1: Was it the uh, LSU versus Texas A&M game last year, the one that went to seven overtimes? No. <laughs> Is that what we want to see, a, a repeat of that?
0: No. <laughs> well, maybe because I might actually get to watch part of the game because I'm going to be working during part of this game. So. Oh. What do you got going on, Jason? What's more
1: important than Utah State football?
0: Uh, paying for my tuition. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. I, I'd say that's probably pretty pretty important. <laughs> Driving um, a bus in this case. i give, uh, give you a pass there. I'll be
0: listening to the game, though, so I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in touch because I get to listen to the radio. While driving a bus.
1: Speaking of that, um, we uh, happen to do this pretty cool thing where we we broadcast the yeah. the game here. So
0: I'll be listening to ninety two point three KBLULP Logan.
1: And if you want to hear uh, Scotty G's beautiful sulky sultry voice coming over their airwaves, uh, yeah, turn into ninety two point three KBLULP uh, to catch the game on the zone, and you'll catch him and Kevin White, and uh, yeah. If, uh, if you don't get the chance to watch the game on TV, which, I don't know, maybe this could be one where you'd rather just listen to the game than watch yeah,
0: it. it. it's on the SEC network. I don't know how many people out here have the SEC network.
1: That's a fair point. I know that uh, if anybody uh, listens to the program uh, that lives on campus, I believe they're going to be doing a watch party. Um, look at the Herd's social media to find out more about that, but I believe that's something that's going to be happening. Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah, you might want to just listen to the game, look at it on like, ESPN GameCast and like if it's getting good, maybe head down to, I don't know, with it on the quad or something. Yeah. Is, or or something, maybe it would be like inside the TSC. Yeah, I believe before.
1: so. But so. Yeah, this, this you're right. This might be one where you want to just kind of keep a little bit of a tab on and watch the first couple quarters.
0: Yeah. I'll have to keep a tab on it the whole game and analyze it deeply and rewatch it afterwards because that's my job.
1: <laughs> you get to watch through the suffrage possibly. Yeah.
0: So th- and then you can listen to our recap on our podcast next week where we'll go over it and, and gruesome detail or <laughs> glorious detail if we end up pulling off our first ever win over a top 10 or top 5 team.
1: I mean that really would be like there's we could we will fill a full podcast <laughs> with analysis of that yes. if that ends up happening. Every
0: play, every glorious second <laughs> of a you win can, over a top 5 team if it happens.
1: You can relive it all with us. But if not uh next week uh, will be a bye for Utah state. So uh, right now is in the works. We're going to try to get some uh, some guests on the podcast and kind of fill the uh, opportunity to not have some football talk for a change, and maybe have some women's soccer talk, maybe some basketball talk, some stuff that's going on relevant here at, at Utah State University.
0: Maybe volleyball, maybe not. They're
1: maybe like they've got they've got a game tomorrow night against. Uh, oh, actually, I don't remember. I wanted to say Boise State, but San Jose State. San Jose State. It actually is a pretty good volleyball program, so we'll see We'll see how that goes. But, yeah, we'll be uh, switching up a little bit next week and get some more of the sports involved. And, uh, yeah, so tune into that. And uh you got anything else to say on the program, Jason?
0: Uh, that's all we got. We've really talked everyone's ears off this week. So. Yeah, we really
1: have. <laughs> we're pushing. We're over an hour on this one, actually, which might be first in a little while, but... We, uh, we appreciate you listening to every second of the podcast. The number's have actually been pretty well, so we really do appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, hope we can push out some good content for you guys. That's all I got. Another heading on head nod from Jason. All right, so, yeah, this week again, uh, even though we won't be at the stadium, um, I'll be uh, live tweeting stuff uh, during the game. Catch me at uh, DREN underscore sports. You can also catch at the uh, Utah Statesman on Twitter, and Jason will probably not be tweeting because he wants to be a safe driver on his bus route, but you can probably catch some analysis after the game.
0: You can catch Route (laughs) 7.
1: You can catch, if you live in the Logan area, you can catch Jason driving Route 7. That's where I'll be. (laughs) All right, perfect. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks.